tune in, tone up. Your one-stop shop for guitar tricks, tips, techniques and advice. With me, Gary Shilliday, and my own excellent teacher, Dan Davis. In episode 5 of this podcast, Dan looks at using melody and rhythm playing by adding notes to create interesting harmonies and extending chords. He then gives some ideas to make the way that I play all along the watchtower and like a rolling stone more engaging. So further to our last lesson um, on rhythm, I'd love to know what other kind of chords we could add into the mix to uh, spice things up a little bit and get away from the usual open C's and open D's. What else can we do? Lots and lots and lots. It's a question that I get asked quite a lot because usually at some point, you know, unless you're the classic weekend warrior, as we call them, um, you know, you go out, you play covers, and then sort of put your guitar away and, and, that, and that's it for the next couple of weeks. You know, most people at some point usually get to sort of the point where they want to add their own things in there, whether they want to write songs for their own pleasure or so that other people will hear them or kind of sort of take the songs that they know and do their own thing with them. You yeah. know, not that there's anything wrong with going out there and playing the tab as written and being quite happy with that and and going home with 50 quid in your pocket (laughs) but there's a certain satisfaction with writing your own things or taking what you know and being able to do something a little bit more interesting with it some nice harmonies and uh, nice ideas that change the way things sound yeah yeah absolutely because it's not always about reinventing the wheel with music I mean there are some people who do and, and you know you need you need that I think you, know, you need the innovators, but also with things like songwriting, and especially if you're writing pop and rock music, sometimes it's about coming up with something that's yeah. You know, there's a familiarity to it, maybe. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it's new enough and different enough to kind of catch the ears. Uh, when you're writing songs as well, you you know you need to kind of put a certain stamp on it and at least make things sound a little bit different and a little bit interesting, so your songs don't come out sounding all the same. Um, so let's let's maybe get into that Excellent. <clears throat> see what we can do now we're sort of thinking I'm, I'm thinking of certainly the first of the half of this session kind of maybe aiming it at those who have been playing a little while they've got some open chords and bar chords down but maybe they've never thought of doing anything outside of the norm so you know an A minor is an A minor they're not going to add notes into it you know unless the tab says so yes so let's let's look at how we can maybe sort of put a different spin on things so okay. it's, it's evolution not revolution lovely so i'm going to take a real basic chord progression <clears throat> i'm going to explain the way that we can add some notes in and rather than give people lots and lots of chords so it's sort of too much 
and, and too much theory. Just trying to kind of sort of prompt a person maybe who's listening to this to kind of do a bit of digging themselves and a little bit of exploration. Remember, you can always work out chords with a sort of reverse engineering kind of thing. Yeah. You know, in other words, you, you know, a lot of people come to me and they go, well, what are the chords? It's too broad a subject. It's like, well, you could use this and this and this. You, know, you could go on and on and on. But actually maybe finding something that's interesting and then kind of going back through it, that reverse engineering kind of thing I'm talking about, and then figuring out what you've played right. means that you're not tied. Okay. You're not tied to this shape or that shape. The sheet has only got this shape on it. That's all I can play. But it ain't necessarily so. Okay. So let's start with the C. Nice. So we're going to basically look at some chords in the key of C, <clears throat> a chord progression, if you will. And we're going to see how we could maybe mould the different chords in it to different sort of other chords that we could use. Okay, nice. Get some new sounds. Yeah. So we're going to do C, A minor, we've all heard this progression before, F, G. Yep. Cool progression heard. Definitely. Lots of songs you can play with those chords. Yeah, but many, many 50s tunes played with that kind of chord progression without a doubt. Now you could play the straight chords and that's absolutely fine. You could play it with different sort of rhythmic approaches, you know. enough yep um, you could play it with a different time signature so that's six eight one two three one two three you're changing the kind of technique you're playing with with maybe the choppy technique changing the time signature with the other technique there. You could play it like that, but arpeggiated. Nice. Nice. Now, nothing <laughs> wrong with all of those things. In fact, that's just from the same chords that gives you a a possibility for maybe songwriting you know thinking about changing the time signature of something um for those who are fairly new to time signatures four four one two three four three four one two three one two three one two three or six eight kind of like a almost like a quicker yeah you know sort of three four one two three one two three one two three one two three so the accents in the slightly place do you play much reggae with your bands? 
No, but reggae—that's another thing you could do. Yeah, you could you could play the same chords. Maybe Just interested in your approach on that that one because there's the the upstroke kind of approach, but there's lots of other ways as well. Yeah, I mean, you're, there's quite a lot of muting often, isn't there? So you, you get maybe the upstroke, so you might want to reconfigure your chords, maybe the bar chord. kind of thing you might have a little sort of melody from the C major scale excellent all that, <laughs> that sounds <kind> good of <laughs> stuff yeah so talking about sort of extending those chords yeah, okay. moving to slightly different territory um all of the other things that we've just looked at there, the reggae approach, which, which you were talking about there, these are all kind of techniques, if you like. Yeah. I wouldn't say that playing a different chord or extending a chord is really a technique so much. It's more like a, a sort of, a, as you say, like a harmonic thing. It's sort of adding more notes into your chord to make it more harmonically interesting. Yeah. So that's how it works. Ordinary chords have three different notes, so if we introduce a fourth or a fifth or a sixth note or whatever into there, we're going to get a more, you know, unusual sound maybe or different sound, yeah. a different picture. Now, how it works when we go to add notes into chords is the first thing we really know, need to know is what key are we in? Now, we're in C. So for anybody who has any knowledge of a keyboard, that's all the white notes on the piano. So it's like going straight up the alphabet, folks. C, D, E, F, G, A, B. And back to C again. Now, it doesn't matter what register. It doesn't matter what octave or anything like that that you're in. You can use any of the notes from C. So there's a C up here, C down here. And any of the notes in between from the C major scale they are just fine to add to your chord. Yep. Now, even with that simple knowledge, just add, adding things in. So let's look at, say, the C major scale. I think we know this one, but for the folks at home, yep. very quickly go through this. We can play it in several different ways. To make it easy for everybody, I'm going to use the open string way. So we're going to start on the third fret of the A string. Yep. Open D, second fret on D, third fret on D, open G. 2nd fret on G, open B, and the 1st fret on B. So from the 3rd fret on the A, that gives us C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. Okay. All of those notes and more, fair game. So... Yeah, you could always flatten a 3rd or, or whatever. I suppose it's for that. Yeah, well, maybe that. that. Or flatten a seventh. Or to whatever. start with, I'm going to look at things that are in a kind of pure key, and then, yeah, and then we can plan. then we can mess about with it a little bit, definitely. And this is the thing I'm kind of advocating, really, is let's learn a few rules in the knowledge that they can be happily broken. Yeah, okay. Um, if you don't know what the rules are, then it's a little, you know, it's a little bit more of a long-winded exercise to find out what sounds good and what doesn't sound good, and to know the difference. Kind of interesting that you need to know the rules in order to know how to break the rules. <laughs> I think that's well, true of life, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I think it, I think it is. Um, it's kind of 
I suppose you, it's it's a bit like learning to you know learning to paint with with additional colours outside the primary colours. You know you can learn in a very simplistic way to paint with sort of the, the primary colours, but then when you get into the more subtle shades, you know you you build up a, a bigger and more interesting picture. But also along with that comes a whole bunch of other problems. Yeah. But it, it, it's that kind of learn learn the basics of how this music is made, how it slots together. It's like building blocks. Once you've learned how the building blocks all kind of go together, then you can figure out some of the shortcuts and some of the additional stuff that you can do. And some of the places where, okay, technically there's a rule, but we can break that rule and actually get an advantageous result rather than a, an accurate mess of fail. <laughs> so <laughs> it's also good to know maybe the C scale sort of moving up a little bit for some of the other chords that you might come across. So again, starting on the third fret, we can also go up the C scale by doing third fret on the A string, which gives a C, fifth fret for, for D, second and third fret and fifth fret on the D, giving us E, F and G. Then onto the G string, second, fourth and fifth gives us A, B and C. And then we can extend things onto the B string. Third fret on the B is D. Then E at the fifth. Sixth fret gives us an F. Third fret top string is a G. A is on the fifth fret of the top E. And then B and C are the seventh and eighth frets respectively of the top string. Yep. So that gives us a fair spread of notes going through a couple of different octaves. Yep. Now the reason I'm telling you this is then we can add it to our chord and things can get interesting. Now, how we add to chords is quite straightforward. Looking at our progression we've got, um, what we're probably ideally looking to do is start by maybe adding the next note in the scale. Okay. So if we're in if we're in the key of C, we've got a chord in the key of C. It's a C chord. How did this add a D? Okay. that using my little finger on the third fret of the B string. Now just because you've got a, a, say a song that starts on the C chord doesn't mean that you can't have movement within that chord. Now this is something I teach quite a lot when people ask me about songwriting and things because I think it's an interesting approach. You don't necessarily need to move to a totally utterly unrelated well, not unrelated, but a whole new chord to have some kind of movement in a song. You can actually have a backdrop that's fairly solid and add extra notes by playing them off your chord. So we're going from the C, adding the D, which gives us a C add 9. Now if we rethink things again, we could add in the E on the 5th fret, so I've now got my 1st finger on the 3rd fret of the A, yep. muting the D by slobbily popping the finger across it, and I've got open G, and then the E on the 5th fret of the, of the B string. Now E does appear in C, but in the open C chord it doesn't appear there. Yeah. So if you think about on the B string, normal yeah. C, we've got C, add the D, and the E means we can then extend the last one to add the F on the sixth fret. Lots of opportunities for movement. 
things over, over the course of the last oh my goodness how long has it been uh, about 20 years of teaching yep that I hear all the time and okay you know when you've been playing a few years you get a little bit quicker I guess at picking things up and you've learned a thing or two and you can't really compare somebody who's been playing for 30 plus years to somebody who's, who's been playing for you know six months or a year mm. it's you know unless you've just stared at your guitar for 30 years if you've worked it in, then you're probably going to be a bit better. Yeah. Hope, hopefully you would be. Otherwise, otherwise, you might as well take up knitting or something. <laughs> yeah, instead. Yeah, yeah. But certain things always come out. And the one thing I hear a lot, especially from kids, is I can't do such and such. And okay, you can't today, but that doesn't mean that the can't is always going to be there. But the only way you're going to eliminate the can't is by working it until you can. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's a professional musician on the planet who hasn't come up against lots and lots of challenges to be where they are. Mm. But it's how you face that challenge. You know, do you kind of go right? I'm gonna, you're gonna work something out. And like the amount of people I've spoken to who go, oh, I can't play fast, and and you think, well, have you ever actually, you know, have you, you know, have you just jam along with records and hope that your fingers will move fast enough over the right notes or have you actually properly tried to do some exercises and, and kind of make it happen or you know you're expecting it to one day happen it, it won't happen by accident it won't it won't happen by accident it kind of like you have to have some kind of you know some kind of design in there to make it happen some kind of practice schedule I would say Almost yeah, yeah, like I was teaching a kid yesterday and was like, oh, I'm not very good at tapping. And I said to him, I, I gave him the example that um, it's quite interesting, this guy called Carl Verhagen. Um I've probably said this before, so mass apology, apologies if this has popped up in a previous podcast, but it's one of my favourite kind of quotes of all time. And what he said, he said, when even the best, like even the best, the most like amazing musicians you've ever heard are really improvising, like truly improvising at their peak he said they're probably only really improvising for about 30% of the time and that's the best of the best we're talking about the best jazz musicians on the planet you know he said everybody has to practice and figure stuff out because he said everything you figure out I and mean, you practice and you you get sorted and you kind of put in your trick bag to be put, pulled out later he said it's like money in the bank and it doesn't matter whether it's a fast lick doesn't matter whether it's an awkward rhythm doesn't matter whether it's difficult time sigs or like I've been working on a whole bunch of picking stuff and it's pretty damn challenging but you just have to be on it and 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 then you see the results you know I thought my picking was all right but I now realize actually I had plenty more work to do so whatever you you want to do you kind of have to do the prep work first but I think sometimes we forget. We learn the first position of the pentatonic and then you wonder why the other four are so hard to learn and that one feels easy. Well, that one feels easy because it's the one you, you you played for six months before somebody showed you the rest. A lot of kids yeah. I teach are brilliant with their first and second fingers and then the third and fourth are rubbish. 
but there again for the first six months of playing you know, they did everything with their first and second fingers yeah <laughs> you know is it <laughs> what you want to come out of your playing you have to put into your practice well e- exactly and also yeah. the, the fact that the more you do of one thing you're going to get good at that one thing you know and you I, I say to pupils you know if I'd showed you the, the third position of the minor pentatonic scale and I said that's your scale that's the one to start on and you hammered that for months before learning the others the first position would feel weird you know you have to do enough of stuff and you have to do a bit of planning. So, you know, sort of rhythm takes time to, to, mm. to get sorted as well, you know, and for you to come up with the ideas. Playing acoustic guitar is really cool like that because otherwise it can, it can sound and be quite boring just strumming through open chords. And if you're going to make it entertaining for yourself and everyone else, you know, it's, it's not a bad place to start. Yeah, okay. So with the C chord... Now, what chords are we getting here? Well, we've got a C. We've got a C with an added nine. That's the one with the D in it. Yeah. Then we've got another voicing of C. You wouldn't call that a C sus two, though. I mean, it can be. It right. Can be. If something's going to be a suspended second, a sus two, yeah. um, it needs no third. Right. So if you're doing combination of C, G, and D, yeah. then you've got a sus two. Okay, gotcha. Take the third out, so... And now you've got a sus two. Yep. Put the third in. Add nine. Nice. And yep. ju- just for a game for folks out there, listening, when you trying to when you hear like oh suspended second, suspended fourth, add the sixth, whatever, it pertains to the number of of where the the note appears in the scale. Now you might the more astute of you out there might be thinking well, hang on a major scale has got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven notes and then I'm back to the octave note so what's this adding a ninth even adding in the octave note gives me eight notes so what's add nine well suspended second suspended chords have no third so whereas C chord is made up of root third and fifth C, E and G a suspended second would give you the C and the G from the C chord and then it would add the second note in the scale, which would be D. Because we've kind of used that note for the second, for the suspended second, when we want to use that D note again in there for the add nine, so that's a normal C chord, but we're adding the ninth note in the scale, it's as if we've gone around the scale again. Yeah. So you think C, D, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. That makes D the next note nine yeah so that's how that works okay so wherever you hear or see like a chord and then the word add it means it literally is the chord that you see written and you're going to add that note so if you're in the key of c or any other key you keep going through the scale until you hit that note so if you want to know what a 13 was in the key of C, you go into the second octave of the scale. So we start on the first octave. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Which gives us an A. Yeah. Yep. So if I had, say, um, a C, C major 7 add 13, I would have a C major 7 chord with an added A. sound so that's that's the rough way it works this is what i mean when i say we could reverse engineer things 
I could put my fingers anywhere on the fretboard where I know it's in the key of C, for example. Like there. Sounds a bit strange. Right, well, I've got C and I've got G. Well, that appears in a C chord. Yeah. The B note is the seventh note in the scale. So yeah, so it's major seven. Major seven. And then I've got that note there, which is C major seven and eleven. Yeah. I know we haven't got the E from the C major seven, but we kind of got to look at everything else around it got enough there that we know what it today is yeah yeah so if I played that sounds pretty major 7 could you add the E at the top anyway I suppose you, you could add the E at the top it's <laughs> quite a nice cool. lower, yeah, yeah. yeah now we could take you know, an easy way of doing this to add the notes to the chords we could take any of the strings if you've got an open string good old fashioned C chord you could use the G string Three strings, yeah. Nice. Now, that's something else to note is that if you want to make chords more interesting, don't always feel that you've slavishly got to play the whole shape before you add new notes in. As long as you're careful enough to work around the notes that you don't want to add in. You can always do part of your chord. That there that we had on the C, on the sorry, the A, D, and G strings gives us root, the third, and the fifth. So actually, that gives us all of the components of C. After you get past those three notes, we're just repeating ourselves. Quick, quick question about that: Is it better to have the? I mean, I guess it's all harmony, really, but you've got a nice melody going as well. Is it better for the melody the upper? It really depends on the effect you want. Yes. Yeah. Um, that Ever seen sense. that film Hitched? Uh, Hitch, sorry. Yes. Where he talks about all of the rules of getting into a relationship and how to do it. And yeah, I was thinking about a dog film from Hitch. <laughs> yeah. You're thinking of Hooch. Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he basically and not just the dog version. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end of the at the end of the film, he basically says, "One of the rules, basic principles: there are no rules." And music's a bit of the same kind of thing. You understand it if you saw that movie. In as much as there's plenty of rules and regulations and things to stick by, and you can't use this with this, and you know, you know that's technically wrong. And you know, like if you look at the blues, it's technically wrong on a number of accounts in terms of the notes that shouldn't work and all the rest of it. But it's it's then down to not what works on paper and what doesn't, but what works in the real world. You know, there are some forms of tension and discordancy. You know, there are certain kind of discordant chords that, you know, you could say are haunting or add a certain awkwardness to a tune, which is the whole point. Or sort of certain kind of like, they're meant to make a piece maybe sort of sound slightly disturbing or something like that. A perfect example of that would be the Nine Inch Nails song covered by Johnny Cash called Hurt. Mm. 
great well, song. They, they purposefully <laughs> used the flattened fifth, and it sounds really like, oh, that's painful, but that's meant to be. Yeah. Very different song to Johnny Cash's version. Very much, very dark. But it's meant to give you that dark vibe. There's a Black Sabbath song called Black Sabbath, where it uses the same discordant kind of notes. Um, They're kind of breaking the rules, you know, back in medieval times, you know, you'd be strung up for playing those (laughs) notes in succession. Yeah, yeah, burned at the stake or drowned in a lake. Well, yeah, they they, they thought those notes summoned the devil, for (laughs) his sakes. Um, yeah, pe- people didn't play them because they were so they were considered so discordant and like oh, painful on the old ears. But you know, with with music again, it's it, some rules when you break them produce certain results that for certain situations are desirable. So looking at our C chord, you asked about where do we want the melody? Do we want it higher up? It depends how you want to tackle that. You know, you you could do a melody starting down lower, you know. Maybe then going higher. as you change chords so I went from C to an F and as I went up to the F I sort of had that melody on the B could have it there you could even have something sort of low down you know if you wanted like a bass note kind of thing focused on the the, the root notes and the G so it's, it's another another take on it this is where playing the acoustic guitar I think really comes into its own it, it's it's really good for those sort of melody moments you know because you you can you're gonna use probably a clean sound aren't you you're actually gonna put it through a bunch of pedals or something which is unlikely so you're gonna get that purity of tone which is going to allow those notes to ring out and you can take advantage of that. So, so far we've, we've extended our C chord, really. Uh, so we, we've just added notes from the C scale. Yep. Now, if we wanted to go to A minor, we could do the same again. We could add the same notes. Now, this is quite an interesting technique that um, good songwriters have known for a hell of a long time. Yep. You use the same notes 
but over a different chord. Because the chord's providing a different harmonic backdrop, people don't sit there thinking, oh, same melody. It still sounds kind of fresh. Yeah. So, like, say we were doing... take from the chord and how you're going to make that melody ring so I sort of started there with me A minor yep gives me the C and then I sort of flattened my first finger across the middle to and then added the D in so essentially I'm playing an A suspended fourth yeah okay and then you can easily extend up if you've got your fingers out really yeah so that's giving you like an A5 power chord Sort of come out in the last example. Then there. Then I had a little run up at the end. like a reoccurring melody right yeah if you see what I mean that you're running yeah. through all of the chords now if you want to look at it there's two ways of looking at it you can look at it as a reoccurring melody that's running through all of the chords or you can look at it as like okay I'm going to go to A minor I've got A minor A suspended second A5 A suspended sorry A suspended fourth A5 power chord A suspended fourth back to A minor again when you go to the F you can look at it as F F6, yeah, major 7, F6, then G, A minor, G to the B in the bass. Yep. So essentially, you've got new shapes there, yep. but your main purpose has been to carry a melody through. Yep. So as long as we know... It's that good, folks. <laughs> it's good stuff. You like it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the idea with this is, is that you can take something fairly normal and make something a little more interesting out of it. Yeah. You know, um, a really good example, and I know it's a bit of a weird example, so apologies in, in advance, but quite a good example of it is the cover that Wheatus do of Respect by Erasure. Okay. Because basically everything pretty much is going from a major or a minor chord to a sus chord of some kind, and which gives you that movement, you know. <laughs> Yeah. 
and it kind of makes it. Can you imagine how boring it would be if it was just. Yeah, Whereas yeah. when you've got that movement, certainly added something a little bit more interesting into the punch bowl at the party, hasn't it? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not car keys. Yeah, yeah, not the car keys. Yeah, yeah. So even even a fairly simple rhythm can be spiced up in a very simple way. Yeah, yeah, and and it just sort of elevates it to a slightly new, a new level. Yeah. Uh, are there any songs that that you have to play that you feel that the way you play them is is a little lackluster, or that you would you would like a different take on it? Yeah. How about uh, all along the Watchtower? Okay, it's a very interesting one. This I think because as a song, when you strip it back, there's nothing to it. Yeah, three chords. <laughs> nice yeah, and, and thereby lies the problem. When you've got songs that are kind of like songwriters' songs, you know, where you've got kind of like a beginning, a middle, and an end, you know, you have a yeah, you know, an intro and a, and verses and choruses and pre-choruses, and and each one is a new sort of maybe a new set of chords or a new melody or something. It's it's quite easy to sort of maybe add something new in there, but with all along the Watchtower, it's it's kind of a tricky one. So how are you playing it at the moment? Well, kind of. Bob Dylan-y style. Okay. And it does that for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, afterwards it does that for a long time. Now, ironically, Bob Dylan preferred Jimi Hendrix's version. Which sees us, isn't it? It's, so yeah, well, C-shot, 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 down, yeah. Isn't it? yeah, yeah. He was always dropped down half a well, certainly the later half of his career, dropped down half a step, or or even more if he was using a twelve string quite often. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was sort of C sharp B and A as opposed to A minor F, G and F. So are you looking for something that falls kind of halfway between the two? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I well, guess. I mean, this is another area where where sort of rhythm playing can be quite an interesting possibility because it you know it's stylistically what do you want to say in the key of a minor even though it's somebody else's song you've sort of got a Jimi hendrix slant on it from what you're telling me but you're playing it in bob dylan's key yeah so yeah. there's sort of homage to both of its its sort of yeah, purveyors true. um how you want to do it i always think with all along the watch sound the original had um, by original i mean the Jimi hendrix cover had a great deal of atmosphere yeah and that was kind of what made it tick, was the atmosphere and the dynamics. I think if you'd heard it live, I think probably you, some of that would have been a little bit lost because the first, the original version is quite studio-y. Uh, and there's, a, there's acoustic guitar on there, which I believe Dave Mason, the guitarist from the 60s called Dave Mason, played on that track. Uh, there's some slide work. I'm not sure if he used a real slide, but Jimi Hendrix was quite famed for using the rings on his fingers as slides. Right, okay. There's also um, sort of delay, so I don't know whether that back then would have been tape delay, quite possibly. I think, I'm not sure if it had been too early for the Echoplex. Might not have been too early for the Echoplex, but there's that. There's quite a lot of wah-wah as well. Yeah. 
um, quite in everything he does, pretty much. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's quite a bit on that track, and it's not overly distorted. Jimi Hendrix never really was, unless he was sort of his amps were about to blow up. You know, he he played a Strat, and it, it didn't really have tons of gain and output to it. So the sounds are often cleaner, I think, than our memory kind of um, imagines. You know, he sort of just played with quite a lot of aggression, and that sort of tricks you, I think, into believing maybe his tone was more aggressive than it really was. His playing was more aggressive than his tone, really. Right. Okay. Now, getting some of that atmosphere in, um, that's quite tricky to do. Like, you, you could, obviously, you've got to sort of play it kind of like the record to start with. You, you've got the rhythmic thing. you've got past that if you carry on doing that it's a little bit lumbering isn't it yeah and then, gets a bit boring and then, and then, and then, you know five minutes of that and you're going to want to go out and kill somebody I mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're going to have had enough yeah um, if you listen to the Hendrix version it kind of it's a storytelling thing isn't it you know Bob Dylan was a brilliant storyteller most decent songwriters are and he told a story and that story is, you know, intrinsic to the song. It's really important. It needs to be heard. So you don't want to be burying it in stacked loads of guitar. You know, the words are quite important in a Bob Dylan song. They are what makes it the song tick along with the melody and everything else. And in the Jimi Hendrix version, he kind of peeled it right back in the verses. I think there was some backwards guitar on there, possibly. Certainly some bits that faded in and out. So what you could do is you could skinny your part down... <laughs> so you could go from full chords down to like yeah my my infamous sort of a minus three note chords sometimes with playing things in different keys is they don't always transfer well to the licks you want to do so you could put your G up here at the 10th fret yes bar chord where you've got Hendrix C double stops around the 12th and 14th fret so there I've got my G chord yeah. on the middle four strings 10, 12, 12, 12 oh yeah sorry and then holding down the 12th by swapping to my first finger on the 12th fret of the D, G and B and then using my ring finger to fret the notes on the 14th fret of the G and then pulling off so the G the D the A and back to the G 
string a little bit as well. Uh, could do that or um, or you could refret the, the the chords here. And this is something for rhythm players to take note of, which really includes every single one of us. Yes. If you play chords yes. and strung them together sometime in your life, you play rhythm. Yep. You know, nobody sits there playing single notes forever in a day. Of sometimes reconfiguring our chords is a really useful way of doing it. So even if you find the notes in the chord, so if we're up here on the 12th fret and I'm barring across at the 12, I've got a very high A minor. So I've got, say, the, the 14th of the, the, the D, the G, and then the 13th of the B, giving me like an A minor shape, 12 frets up from normal. Yep. If I follow those strings down to the next point where I can find either a C, an E, or an A, which brings me to the 10th, 9th, and 10th of the yeah. same three strings. So I've got 10 on the D, 9 on the G, 10 on the B, like a D7 kind of thing. That give me another version of A minor. If I follow the same thing through with the G, then just below that, 9, 7, and 8, gives me a version of the G chord. Two frets lower, same shape, gives me the F. So there's some options. With this, we're looking at something you play in a band and how we can maybe re-jig re it, take it away from that, oh, if I was on acoustic guitar, I'm stuck with these three chords, and take it into, well, you've got a bass player and a drummer. They're backing you up. They're the engine of the band. So actually, as long as you're playing you know, notes that sound cool and carry the chords through, you've got a bit more carte blanche to do what you want. Yeah. So you could, here we go, because of the close relationship of the chords, put your A minor where it always is, because that's quite good for aforementioned Hendrixisms. So sort of pinning down the fifth fret with the bar, and then maybe using your third finger to give you the seventh fret and flicking the notes on off. Now thinking about G and F that we looked at a second ago, you could almost put those into like an E minor 7 barred at the seventh fret, so you'd have from A to E, 7, 9, 7, 8, 7. This gives you, apart from the added E, that gives you everything in the key of G, and two frets lower, F. But the bar, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
that's adding in a few of the extra bits as well that we've done. Brilliant. But sometimes it's visualising it, you know, if you're not sure of the chords. So that's why. So you're playing like the jazzy kind of... Right. Yeah, I mean, technically adding in those extra notes is not kind of wrong, but it might sound a little bit strange, but you can... But for some, they might be a bit more akin to knowing, say, the E minor 7 and D minor 7, rather than the sort of other voices. With things like All Along the Watchtower as well, although we haven't got them here with us, um, using certain effects and things can be quite useful, not just sort of wah-wah, but delay can add quite a sort of level of ambiance to something. Yeah. Because with, with delay, it can in certain instances sort of stop you overplaying yeah. by offering you repeats and offering you a bit of a halo around the sound, where sort of playing just... something as simple as that might work quite well yeah and let the repeats do the work yeah you know um getting into a slightly more sort of existential area i've used feedback on occasions yeah to add a bit of atmosphere especially with a bit of delay yeah, you know, if you can get your amp to kind of feedback nicely on a good note, you know, so it's just sort of there. Yeah, you know that that can kind of be quite effective. We do radar love. Remember that song by Gold? Yeah, 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 yeah. And the last verse is like a double verse, and it hasn't really got loads of guitar in it. It's a little bit more bass and drums and vocals at that point. Uh, and often I get my amp just sort of cooking and um, and get a note sort of ringing nicely, feeding back nice. through the mix. Yeah. yeah, it's good when, you, when it works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so there, there's things like that that you know, sort of manipulation of your sound, which can work quite, you know, can work quite well. Yeah, uh, for, for sort of air, for certain areas of music where you need a bit of dynamics. Yeah. So if uh, so so because it because this is creating a, a kind of one person thing, isn't it? You don't really need it to solo because you've got one person doing that. creating that kind of melody and stuff yeah I mean if you is one of you taking a solo and one of you on acoustic or we're both on acoustic usually so I mean you you could do I mean with the Jimi Hendrix version it's full of drama in it yeah yeah quite frankly that's nicely put yeah full of drama I mean it is totally and utterly full of full of drama and, and you know he sort of ends on the very very high notes while he's still sort of singing and it sort of fades out and it's quite a studio-y version of it I think yeah, uh, I haven't seen too many bands. I've seen a lot of bands murder it. That song, haven't seen too many bands do it justice. Um, the Hamsters used to do a very, very good version of it, but again, he would use delays and things like that. All of these, all of these things that kind of conjure up the sort of vibe of the '60s can be cool effects to use if you know how to use them. Yeah, um, you know, but getting that studioy sound. Um, you know, I don't think Jimi Hendrix would have got the sound he got on the studio version out live. You know, because live he was, you know, it was quite a simple setup, wasn't it? Really, yeah. Guitar, a couple of stomp boxes, amp, the kind of setup you'd use at a pub. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, maybe strip down the parts in the verse, 
maybe sort of get it a bit heavier in the in the chorus. Octaves are also a good call with something like this. So if you've got something with that chord progression, you can go against the grain if someone else is playing those chords. progression is clearly sort of going down descending as that is playing something that goes against the grain and goes up the other way is often quite a good call you see this kind of effect in a lot of different things i mean jimmy hendrix used quite a few octaves i think in some of the soloing on that track yeah it's sort of great i can hear that yeah yeah it's sort of it's a great effect yeah yeah exactly that yeah you hear it on a lot of Foo fighters records a lot of rock records because it works so there, what you were going from the A minor up to the F there. So I was doing just octaves. So, so I had the A plus the octave, then the B, taking the, the third out of the G. The, the guy who was probably the best known for them was Wes Montgomery, who was yes. a jazzer. Yeah, yeah. And ironically, although he, he used them to good effect, to blinding effect, um, many rock guys sort of used use the, the octave idea. His idea of using it was that it was thicker sounding than the single note, not as over the top as a chord. Yeah. And that's another reason why they're quite a good thing to drop in your rhythm playing. Because they definitely have that, you know, I'm playing more than one note, it's kind of a chord-like quality. But they, they fall sort of some way short of a solo. Yeah. But certainly could be put, you know, you know, in, in something to sort of interject in between chords with this if someone else is playing chords as a little sort of sideline. Yeah, top. You know, to, top run, line to run alongside. Yeah, that's definitely something I'll, I'll be able to use. Is there anything else? Um, look at Like a Rolling Stone, yeah. What have you got as chords for that? I've got to remember it now. It's like going up the chords in there. Down the other way, doesn't it? So. 
sat there. I very, of you I very nearly said, oh, no, I wouldn't be with it if I were you. Yeah. Um, Leave it as it is. And then that <laughs> pops out. Um, with all songs, I think appropriateness has to be thought about a little yeah. bit. There is, well, to my mind, I know some people will do will do anything for kicks, but I do think sometimes with certain songs, if you're not careful, it's like whizzing on a Picasso, isn't it? Yeah. You know? It's, yeah, it's, it is. <laughs> there, there are some songs, if you don't treat it with at least a modicum of respect that it deserves, then you're, you're not really doing it justice. Yeah. You know? Um, so you can end up kind of going too far with certain tunes. If it's your own song, well, fine, go for life, go for your life. You know, if it sounds bad, well, that's just one of those things. But I think with with covering tunes, you can alienate a lot of your audience sometimes by kind of going too far with it. Yeah. You know. Makes sense. Not everybody wants to go out and hear something that they can listen to on a CD in their living room. You know, we want to see something new. But at the same time, you know, you, 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 you can kind of make a bit of a, a mess of things. Maybe a second piece for so so you're not doing anything for one of the guitars, but the second guitar is doing something, has something yeah. slightly different. You see, with something like this, you could do that Hendrixy kind of thing. Yeah, where we're climbing the stairs through the chords. So I played the C. Yeah, but as we climb through the D stairs, we're going to add some Hendrixes. So we've got the C, D minor seven, C with the in the bass. So I've just flattened across my like fifth that. fret there. Ah. The fifth fret of the D, G and B, I've flattened my first finger over and then I'm playing my D on the seventh fret. Yeah, gotcha. And then I've got the F, just normal F. 8, 10, 10, 10, and 10, 12, 12, 12 for the G. But then we have the Hendrix isms. Yeah, I was like looking at the rest of it going, yeah, could probably have a two. There's a bit of practice getting that, but he'll sneak that last. Brilliant. It's a little pentatonic. Yeah, okay. B and E, wouldn't it? The key of A. Oh, yeah, okay. 
I think with the C you've got to be quite quick off the mark before the D. If you want to stick a cheeky one. two strings as long as you adhere yeah. to the scale all that kind of stuff I'm literally straight across 12 and 12 everything So thank, thanks very much, Dan. And uh, as I said before last time, listen to those show notes on tuneintoneup.com and we'll get back to you next time. Stay tuned for more episodes, jams, improvisation ideas and well-informed thoughts about amps, pedals and guitar gear. If you enjoy this podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes, find us on SoundCloud or see our website at tuneintoneup.com. Here you'll find show notes, tabs and other resources. I hope you're finding these lessons as interesting and useful as I do and if you have any suggestions we'd love to hear them.